There's certainly a lot of talk today about things coming down and maybe crashing down. Perhaps the, the financial markets, which have taken a big dip, will continue to slide. And with sanctions and wars and everything that the world is facing, maybe it's all going to come crumbling down. We know that's happened in the past. The false security in the 1920s led to the Great Depression and people losing so much of what they had put their hopes on and the markets all crashed. You know, I don't know if that's going to happen today or not, but I do know that there's a real danger for spiritual crash and for spiritual false security. The things that we find ourselves doing might lead us to fall away from faith because we think we're secure and we might find that we are not. That's what Paul is warning the Christians against in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Are we secure? We see that false security is crushed by Christ, who is our true security with his faithful presence. Here, Paul is warning the believers against that security. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Paul is writing about the ancient Israelites. He's referring to those believers who were called to be God's own as God rescued them. They were all under the cloud and passed through the sea as Moses led them out of Egypt. They became the people of God as God saved them from slavery and God brought them and protected them with that cloud from the advancing attack of Egypt and God drowned their enemy Egypt in the sea as they passed through the waters of the sea on dry ground. Paul knows they're aware of that. But he's going to apply this to us so that we understand that what happened to them was for our benefit and for our learning. They, he says, were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. Much in the same way that our baptism is the start of our entrance into the kingdom of God, that we are brought into the family of God, that our sinful nature is drowned and our sins forgiven, for them, for the people of Israel. They're passing through the Red Sea. They're having the cloud. They were, in a sense, baptized, brought into the family, brought into the kingdom. Paul says they were all baptized in the same way. And then he goes on to describe another gift of God. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. The people miraculously had food provided. This spiritual, this divinely sourced food was bread from heaven. And the drink that they had was the water that gushed forth from the rock as they were in the wilderness. They never would have made it to the promised land if God had not baptized them in the sea and with the cloud and killed off their enemies and given them freedom and new life. They never would have made it to the promised land if God had not provided water and food miraculous food, which gave them salvation. He says, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. There was Christ. He was the Lord in the cloud, guiding them, the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. He was the one who was gushing forth water in the wilderness. Christ was with them. But, even though they all had the same baptism, 
the same gift of God, even though they all had the same miraculous food and drink. Paul warns, all of them had this, but nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Just go back and read through the accounts of the Exodus and the following accounts in Numbers and Deuteronomy. We see the people of God were greatly blessed. They had every spiritual advantage. And yet, what happened? It doesn't just say God was not pleased. Paul goes on to say, they set their hearts on evil. It's not merely that they disappointed their God. They turned away from the God who gave them a miraculous baptism, the miraculous food and drink, and they set their hearts on evil. As you turn back to the Old Testament, you'll see what, what Paul is referring to. The several different accounts, several different times when most of them ended up having their bodies strewn in the wilderness and they fell away from God and they died. It's almost as if Paul is saying, okay, let, let's take a look at this war zone. Let's do an autopsy and let's look at what happened so we can learn. He says, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil as they did. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not going to do what the Israelites did. I'm not going to worship an idol. I'm not going to turn aside to the open sexual immorality like they did. I'm not going to grumble against the leaders like they did. But we've been afforded, just like Israel, every spiritual advantage. We have been baptized into Christ. He has given us that washing, which Peter says, baptism saves you by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And with baptism, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you have a new life. You've been brought into the family of God. You've been adopted. He's put his name on you. All of us, brothers and sisters, all of us have this spiritual advantage, the new life and the gifts given in baptism, that same spiritual washing. It's a real washing and a divine washing. And all of us eat the same spiritual food, not just eating the bread of life as we read the word, but literally also eating and drinking miraculous food and drink as we partake of the Lord's Supper. That real food is a, also a miraculous food in which God gives us every spiritual advantage. He says it's the new covenant. It's designed not only to bring us into God's family as we're baptized, but to strengthen us on our way until we reach the promised land. The forgiveness of sins given in water and the word. The forgiveness of sins and strengthening of faith as we receive the body and blood of our Lord together with the food and drink, the bread and the wine. We have every spiritual advantage. But Paul says, what happened to the ancient Israelites? Who could have taken for granted the fact that God gave them everything? They set their hearts on evil. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in reverie. We see that with the time when Moses came down with the covenant, the, the Ten Commandments. There were the people already bowing down to worship an idol and engaging in immorality and indulgence of the sinful heart. 
You might say to yourself, oh, I'm not going to worship an idol. But what is your life centered on? You might say, I, I've got the blessings of God's church. I've been told, I've been washed. I know that I have the gifts he gives me in the word and sacrament. The gospel is mine. And then we can allow our hearts to fall because we, we think we're secure and can never fall. That we don't need repentance and faith. And so sin takes a hold of our heart. And maybe, no, we're not worshiping an idol, but what becomes number one in your life? Is it the Lord and his gifts? Is it the treasure he's given you in baptism and in the sacrament of Holy Communion? Is it the treasure of the gospel that you have before you as you partake of what your Lord has given you? Or is sometimes the greatest gift in your life, the greatest love where your heart is, something else? We should, he says, not commit sexual immorality of some of, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. If you'd read the account in scripture, you'd hear how the Moabites invited the Israelite people to participate with them in their sacrifices to their gods and to engage along with those sacrifices in sexual sins. And many of the Israelites caved in to the temptation. Can you imagine their mindset? After all, God forgives us. God made us his own. God loves us. Why can't we do whatever we want? Maybe you're not engaging in occultic sex practices. But are you using your body in a way that honors your God? Or are you tempted to sometimes think, I'm forgiven. I can get away with any sin I want and just come back and know that I'll be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, that's true, but that's not faith. That's not repentance and trust in God. That's turning from God to sin. Do you find that your view of marriage has crumbled? Do you find that you no longer speak up and defend marriage? Do you find that you yourself have no longer striving to have pure thoughts, but rather with unrepentant heart continue to turn to lust and immorality? That's a false security. And then you might say, well, okay, all right, I hear you, but I'm not doing anything with idolatry and I'm not doing anything terribly immoral. Paul adds, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Those people grumbled against God. He says, do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. In the rebellion led by Korah also, we had people saying, who are you, Moses, to be in charge? And they turned against God's appointed, his anointed and called workers. And they themselves said, we deserve to be in charge. We can make the rules. And so they despised God's gifts and they despised God's preachers and teachers. Do you ever grumble? If you think, you're standing firm because you've received baptism, because you can receive the gospel and word and sacrament today, and you have a church home, and you attend the services, and you're a lifelong believer, perhaps even. But Paul warns, don't grumble. That too is something that Paul calls setting your heart on evil. When you despise the gifts God has given you and you, you complain and you rebel against that, that too 
Paul says, will cause you to fall from your secure position. These things happen to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. You see what Israel did? Their idolatry, their sexual immorality, their complaint and their grumbling against their God and against the pastors and teachers in their lives. Brothers and sisters, Paul isn't just writing this to the Corinthian Christians. He's writing it to us because he knows all of God's people. He says, face these things. He says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Our complacency and the gifts and all the advantages God has given us can cause us to think we will never fall away from faith. So that like the people in the roaring 20s that say the markets will go up and up, nothing will ever happen. We get caught unaware as we fall down to a terrible fate of turning away from the Lord and setting our hearts on evil. Paul says, be careful you do not fall. He means don't fall away from that secure position of faith to which God has brought you by yourself, setting your heart on evil and leaving your God with an unrepentant heart loving evil. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You know, sometimes it seems like we, we think we're, we're living in an age where we are special and the, the temptations that we face are unique. And therefore, we have a reason to maybe cave in more than others. No temptation that, that you face is unique. The temptation to idolatry, to love something more than God, has gone on from the very beginning. Israel fell to it. You can fall to it. The temptation to lust and commit sexual immorality is not different today. It's the same sinful heart that wants to abuse the blessings of marriage and God's body and turn aside from that to immorality, sexual immorality. And the impure thoughts lead to impure words and actions. And soon the person is loving that and no longer standing secure, but has fallen away from God. Not because they don't earn heaven, but because they have despised God's gifts. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common. What about grumbling? You've heard it. I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. It's a common sin to all mankind. And it can cause us to grumble against our God and to fall away from faith. He says, And God is faithful. You are those, he says, for whom the accumulation of the ages has come. We have seen the faithfulness of our God throughout the pages of Scripture. God is faithful. He still, still gave manna day after day, and that spiritual food and drink was there for Israel. They heard and saw and tasted that their God loved them despite their idolatry, despite their sexual immorality, and despite, yes, their grumbling. To those who repented and continued to rely on their God, he was a faithful God, a loving God. 
And for you and I, who are given all the same spiritual advantages, one and another, we are all baptized. We are all able to receive the gospel. We all have the word and the gospel and word and sacrament. But it's the faithfulness of our God that matters most. The accumulation of the ages has come. We know that Christ, who accompanied Israel, has accompanied us. Christ, who took on human flesh, and in his faithfulness, crushed all the sin as he bore the price on the cross. And our faithful God won for us forgiveness. He faced all the temptations common to man, but won in our place. And with that, gave us full and free forgiveness. And he continues to shower us with every spiritual advantage. As you hear the message of the gospel at this moment, Christ has taken your sins away. Turn from setting your hearts on evil to the true God who freely forgives, who has washed you with baptism, who gives you his body and blood together with the bread and wine, that spiritual, miraculously given food, real food and real drink, real strength, real forgiveness, and who has promised he will faithfully always be with you. Paul says, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He is also faithfully protecting you from the enemy. We can't give in to that lie of the devil that the temptation I'm facing is unique, therefore I have to give in. No, the Lord has given you salvation. He's washed away your sin. He gives you the gospel and word and sacrament to strengthen you. And when you're tempted, there is always a way out. He will not tempt you beyond what you can bear, but rather, when you're tempted, he will provide a way out so you can endure it. At times, that way out for us has been, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we remind ourselves, and he reminds us in his word, we're baptized. And we partake of the forgiveness as we join together in the Lord's Supper. And we hear the gospel proclaimed. But the other way out is also God will strengthen you so that when you face temptation, it's not your master. You don't have to fall away. But trust in the Lord. He is faithful. He will provide a way out. That temptation will be there for a time. But picture the faithfulness of our God who's brought you to his side. The accumulation of the ages has come, and he said, you are my own, you are baptized. Here is food for strength. Here is my word to uphold you, and I am faithful. Brothers and sisters, there's an easy way for us to slip into false security, and that is when we think that because God has been so gracious, and he's done so much for us, and he's given us so much, that we can... Maybe dabble in sin a little bit. But our faithful God says, not only has he forgiven us all our sin, he empowers us so sin is not our master. And the temptations that come our way are things we can say no to by the grace of God. And we can live a new life as God's baptized, forgiven people. We can be strengthened as we partake in the sacrament. And by the faithfulness of our God, we see Our false security is crushed. These things were written for our benefit. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall.
and make sure if you stand firm, you stand with Christ, you stand in his forgiveness, and you stand knowing that he is there even as you face temptation to carry you through, to forgive, to restore.